Well, good morning. We are going to Happy Easter, by the way. Certainly every Sunday is a celebration of uh, the resurrection. That's why the Lord's Day um, was, was the first day of the week where Jesus rose from the dead. And so every Lord's Day, um, as the New Testament church adopted, is, is of course a celebration of the resurrection, but today, especially on the church calendar, um, we want to point specifically to that and make much of a, of a risen Savior. So happy Easter. Thank you uh, for being here. We are going to continue on in the Sunday school hour um, in our peacemaking and presuppositions material. Uh, I've enjoyed teaching through this. We've had a lot of good conversation and discussion. I'm also trying to repeat as much as I can remember for the folks there on the camera, even though I'm sure not doing a great job of it. I never do. Um, but um, I've really uh, appreciated everyone's contributions and questions, so please keep that going. Let me pray for us, and we will we'll jump in. God, we come uh, sobered by the fact that uh, we are sinful people uh, constantly in need of forgiveness, and we are awaiting redemption. Uh, we are glad that because Jesus has triumphed over sin, that there is hope for us. Um, that we are empowered to live lives of godliness, um, that we have the ability to um, press on in hope because of what we are assured, that our inheritance is in fact secure, and that frees us up to confess sin to one another, to be humble, because we don't have to make a name for ourselves. And so we pray specifically today as we look at resetting our perspectives and our priority in conflict resolution, that you would open our eyes and help us ask ourselves difficult questions um, and have the courage um, even to embrace challenging answers. So be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, okay, so if you'll recall, we are in the third, uh, we are in the third week of this course material, and uh, we have gone through a couple of different very bad ways of responding to conflict. And we've said that everyone learned how to resolve conflict by watching somebody or multiple people or not resolve conflict. And we tried to give some good examples last time about kind of what that looked like. Uh, but then I sketched a template, kind of a fourfold template for more of a biblical understanding and way to move forward in conflict resolution. Uh, and so the, I want to take a little bit deeper dive on each one of those steps, and today we'll look at two of them. I don't think we'll get through all of it, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, but the first step that we suggested uh, from a biblical standpoint is uh, resetting priorities and perspectives. That is my first step in conflict resolution. Um, conflict causes emotions to swell up, doesn't it? Um, and when emotions swell up, oftentimes our world shrinks down to the size of our emotion. Could be shame, could be anger, could be grief. But functionally, sometimes those, those feelings and emotions are so strong, this can be all that we feel, all that we see. That's our whole world for that time. And so resetting perspectives and priorities is exceedingly important before you try to go do wise conflict resolution. Uh, particularly confronting sin when you're hurt and you're angry. Um, and if you go in with the wrong priorities or the wrong perspective, you're going to be on a foundation of sand 
and that's probably not going to go very well for anyone involved. That's the honest answer. That's the, that's the truth. And so we want to reset priorities and perspectives. A couple resets that I want to talk about. First, I want to be asking the question, am I glorifying God? This should be our ruling. I say I'm calling it, I didn't put it in italics, I guess. No, maybe I didn't. It didn't transfer. Vertical desire and conflict resolution. I want to be glorified. Hold, hold on, wait a second here. Am I trying to exact relational justice? Am I trying to really stick it to someone? Am I trying to humiliate someone like they humiliated me? Am I trying to really, okay, or do I really want, no matter what happens here, no matter the particulars, I want God to be glorified? What exactly does that mean? Piper has a nice little definition. Generally, feeling, thinking, and acting in ways that reflect his, that is God's greatness, that make much of God, that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all of his attributes and the all-satisfying beauty of his many perfections, his manifold, his many displayed perfections. And in 1 Corinthians 10.31, which is a verse that many of us uh, have memorized, so whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all the glory of God. What is the context there? Well, if you'll recall, right before, let me just read this briefly. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. This is Paul quoting some things. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, meaning they're concerned about this. They're saying, oh, wait, did you not know this is... They have a conscience issue over they see you doing this. This is what offering sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but for his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Answer, it shouldn't be. It isn't. If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Answer, I shouldn't be denounced, but out of love, I can say no to certain things. I can lay down certain rights. And then you get 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So even specifically in the context of Romans 10, 31, we have by obeying and imitating God, by loving others, showing mercy, laying down rights, forgiving and loving self-sacrificially. So I want to do everything to the glory of God, whether I'm eating or I'm drinking, or I am playing, or I am teaching, or especially if I am trying to enter into conflict resolution where it's all too easy to go out for your own glory, if you're honest. All too easy to go out to make a name for yourself, justify yourself, and be the judge, jury, and executioner. So am I trying to glorify God? Am I trying to make his name great, or am I trying to make my name great, or keep my name great. Okay? Have I have I asked God to search my heart here? Is is if someone has said something to me or done something to me that that has communicated something about me in one way or another, is there any part of it that's true? Is there any part of it that's true at all? Is is 99% false and 1% true and maybe I can learn from that part even if the delivery was terrible? Terrible delivery, but you know what? They, might, they may have had a point at that one point. What blind spots do I have? Okay? 
How am I going to take the log out of my own eye first? So I'm going to start, and we're going to move, we're going to get to that. I'm jumping ahead. But we want to start with this vertical desire here to glorify God in conflict resolution. That's my vertical desire. The second desire, love. The importance of love. This should be our ruling horizontal desire. This is the expression of the vertical desire. I want to glorify God. Okay, so how am I going to do that? I want to love this person well. I'm not trying to glorify the person. That's why we're talking about two differences. Glorify God by I want to love this person well. And uh, and so the so just for example, when you think about how you might approach this. When you think about how you might confront someone, you might turn to a passage like 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love passage, and, and, and instead of love, you might substitute what, I, you know, what I'm going to say. You fill in the parentheses, kind of what I'm going to say or how I'm going to do it, is patient and kind, does not envy or boast, is not rude, it does not insist on its own way, if you substitute love there for your, what you're going to go do, what you're going to go say, whatever the case may be, um, is that going to end up being true? I want to be loving this person well, not to be mistaken with always talking in the same tone of voice like this or some kind of, um, uh, uh, some kind of overly sentimental sense of gentleness or passivity or something like that. But no, I want to love this person in grace and in truth um, so that the best of my ability, I can step back. And, and it, even if the person didn't like what I had to say, uh, at least in sober mindedness, perhaps not at that moment, they might say, well, I mean, I disagreed, but they love me well. Now, will that always happen? No, it won't. They'll say, well, that was, I mean, it's, and many of you, this has happened to you. Well, that wasn't a loving thing to do. I can't believe you came and confronted me on that. I can't believe you would point that out. Who are you? What are you, the Holy Spirit? Huh? Come and pointing out that to me or something. But we want to be loving well. And this is the, I would say Colossians 3, 12 through 14. If you want to memorize one verse for this series, this is the verse for you. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Okay? And so in this, in this verse, we not only get the nature of how we should be conducting ourselves, um, but we also get the, uh, the, the, the command to forgive, and we also get the template for forgiveness, just as the Lord has forgiven us. All in one verse. It's great. It's a great verse. It's a great uh, 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 three verses, that is to say. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, can, this is what we're supposed to put on them. We're supposed to make an effort to do this. He's not declaring, this is who you are. Okay? As God's chosen ones, that's who you are. Now, in light of who you are, you need to put on these things. This is fitting. This is what it looks like to walk as a chosen one. All of these things. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bear with one another. If you have a complaint against another, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. You also must forgive. So the importance of love here. Again, um, am I loving this person well by, say, not doing anything, not overlooking an offense? We talked about what overlooking an offense could look like. Uh, but am I loving this person well by not saying anything? Should I say something 
It's just easier to not say anything. I'm going to, you know, make myself feel good about it by saying, well, I'm just being slow to speak and I'm just assuming the best. Or do I just not want to put up with it? And I've done that many times. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say, I mean, I've done that many times over in my life. I probably should have said something, but it just wasn't worth it. It just wasn't worth it. Wasn't worth the fallout that was going to happen. Wasn't worth ruining a, a, a Thanksgiving afternoon. Wasn't worth, and I just, and I've chosen ease many times. I'm sad to say. Not loving that person well. It feels softer. It feels soft. It's not the, it's cowardice. Have I tried putting myself in this person's shoes and seeing things from their perspective? Man, I can't believe that they did or said that. What, what, what was going on? Maybe I can recreate, maybe what they were, is there something going on that makes this seem more reasonable? Maybe I can empathize with them in, in some way. If I can get out of my own hurt and pain, maybe I can empathize with them in some way. Um, are there reasons I could be hurt or angry that don't necessarily mean anyone sinned against me? You know, folks, you can get your feelings hurt over a million different things that don't have anything to do with sin. And people do all the time. All the time. People feel snubbed because they didn't get CC'd on an email. They didn't get invited to this baby shower. They fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. And people can feel truly hurt and truly offended, and yet it is no one truly sinned against them. So, is this something, is this the result of sin, or is this not the result of sin? And then, that might, that, that is going to shape how I engage the conflict, right? In other words, I'm not rebuking some. If, if I'm engaging uh, in a conflict, or I'm expressing hurt to someone, and I don't think it's sinful, that's a different story. That's not saying that someone did anything wrong. You might just say, hey, I have to be honest with you. It hurt my feelings when I wasn't invited to this ministry planning meeting or whatever. I have to be honest. It hurt my feelings when, when, when you know, I felt a little bit hurt when you asked this person to bring their cake to, instead of my cake for the thing. Because, I, you know, I have a high esteem of my cake and you apparently don't. I mean, that's one thing. Someone, but when someone has sinned against you, it's a little bit different. I feel like I was wrong. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the nature of that kind of relational wrong. That's the, so that's the second perspective. I got, I'm going to glorify God. I have a vertical desire to glorify God whatever I do. That's going to be expressed to the best of my ability and desire uh, to, to love this person well. I want to love them well. And then finally, we have to zoom all the way out to the scope of life and eternity. The scope of life and eternity. This should be our constant background context. Okay, so everyone knows this. Sometimes something happens and it seems like such a big deal and then you back up to the grand scheme of life and you don't even have to go that far and it's like, oh, this really is, is a meaningless little thing that's going on here. This seems like such a big deal, but maybe even in a week, it, I, wanna, I mean, the, the, the conflict that, that is present in this and what i'm imagining here is someone has perhaps wronged me hurt my done something but i need to back up and say okay in the context the whole scope of life like is this a big deal i mean sometimes we get so bent out of shape by things that seem so big to us but they're frankly not they become our whole world because of those feelings like i said feelings always fill the whole circle 
Um, so we need to step back. We need to step back. I'm going to glorify God. I want to love people well. I need to have the scope of life and eternity in perspective. So this is that resetting perspective and priority first step. Okay, now I want to ask a question here. Out of these, out of these three horizons, okay, the vertical, the horizontal, and then the background context, uh, what do you, which of the three is easiest to lose sight of or skip over, do you think? For, I mean, and, and it's not like everyone's going to have the same answer, but what do you think? Which one is the easiest to lose sight of or skip over for you? When you have conflict, you're engaged in conflict. What do you think? Anybody have a, yeah, Roger. Okay, tell me a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Understood. Yeah, they already got. They already burned you once, so it's your turn to burn them. Mm. Right, right. Yeah, and that's the challenge, isn't it? When you're hurt, or you're irritated, or you're frustrated, you're angry, whatever. You don't think about any of this. All this goes out the window and sounds like Sunday morning gobbledygook when the rubber meets the road on Wednesday. You know what I mean? So that's why resetting perspectives and uh, is so important. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I would say that mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Yeah, certainly people process uh, anger differently, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. What? Uh, any any other question or any other perspectives here uh, of these three, the horizontal, the vertical, and then the background context, which is the easiest for you to lose sight of or skip over? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that one would be the third one then, probably that losing the scope of life and the, the larger scope. Okay, yeah. So your perspective shrinks down to the size of that conflict. Yeah. Good, really good. That's yeah, super common. I think everyone has struggled with that in one way or another. Any other 
anyone else want to comment on which of the three is the easiest for them to perhaps lose sight of or skip over? Yes, sir. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm so sorry to I'm so sorry to hear that. But that disposition of forgiveness you demonstrate there is is truly remarkable, and certainly be part of that healing process. Certainly part of that healing process. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's a good word. That's a tough word. That is a good word. Anything else? Anything else there? Yes, Jesse. It's easier to make amends than apologize. Sure, yeah, we're going to talk about why that's the case, actually. Yes, we're going to talk about why that's the case. Yeah, Glenn. I would say that uh, in the instance of being yeah. angry or whatever, Yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yes, and that's where that's where we're going to get to the amends. I, I can I can take an action step. Glorify God sounds too much in the air or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. Good. Yeah. How am I going to put God's worth on display here? Um, and I and of course. I think concretely, to be fair, oftentimes that's going to be expressed in that horizontal disposition of how am I going to love well? I'm going to glorify God by loving well. But I first want to resolve with God, and we're going to talk about that um, in, the next, in the next step, which is start with yourself. Um, but So this might seem very basic, and of course on one level it is foundational, but I just briefly want to go over to Matthew chapter 18, because it would be a shame to have a whole series on conflict resolution and forgiveness uh, and, and not address one of the foundational New Testament passages on it, even if everyone is already uh, aware of it, okay? Um, and so Matthew, Ma- Matthew 18, 21 is the parable of this unforgiving servant. And um, again, most of us are familiar with it. I'm just going to read through it very briefly and make a couple of comments because it is foundational to a gospel-centered perspective on conflict, on confrontation, on forgiveness, reconciliation, all of it. So Peter comes up to Jesus and he says this, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive them? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And as one pastor told me, if you're doing the math there, you missed the point. Okay? If you're trying to do the math, you missed the point. Seven, 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 something like that. Now, the, and the, the Greek is actually ambiguous, whether it's 77 or 7 times 77 or 7 times 7. But anyways, m- moving on. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts. So we're in financial language, accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, so just to put in perspective, a talent was a was about 20 years of salary for a regular laborer. One. 
10,000 talents is an astronomically large amount of debt. Okay? This is not like someone's little credit card debt or even someone's a lot of... This is like lifetimes worth of income. Lifetimes worth. An, an, an incalculably large sum is what this is supposed to represent. So anyways, obviously this guy can't pay that. Verse 25, since he could not pay his own debt, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And that a pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Notice, he forgave him the debt. He didn't say, okay, I'll give you one last shot to pay it back, like he told him, right? Remember, the guy's offer is, I'll pay you back. And he said, no, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive your debt. Which again, that he understood, you understand like the way you're setting up the context with the 10,000 talents. The guy asking, when he said, no, please, please, I'll pay you back. The guy knew he couldn't do that. He was totally aware, there's no way this person can pay me back. But, out of pity for you, I'm going to forgive you. But when that same servant, so this servant is super happy, he got his debt forgiven, his incalculably large debt forgiven, he didn't get put on a payment plan, he didn't have anything, gone, wiped out. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants uh, uh, um, who owed him a hundred denarii. So it was a chicken feed compared to what he owed, right? He owed way this much. This person owed like this, tiny little amount, relatively, Okay. And he said, pay what you owe. Oh, excuse me, I skipped a verse. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Very similar sounding words. Have patience with me and I will pay you. And of course, what you're expecting is, oh, you know what? I just said these words and I was forgiven. And so I'm going to forgive your debt. But no, 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 no. That's not what happens. That's not what happens, is it? This person uh, loses perspective person loses perspective very, very quickly. Have patience with me and I will pay, repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Ironically, in the same place where he just sent that guy, right? So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The foundation of Christian forgiveness and reconciliation is the reconciliation brought about by Jesus Christ. He is the perfect, he is the example. He, he, he's the one who even makes it make sense that we're going to hear about in the sermon. It's, it's not forgiving people on a purely utilitarian basis, on a naturalistic worldview. It doesn't even make sense, really. Like a lot of times, there's, why would there be Unless it was just you had some personal gain or it helped you out psychologically, why would you forgive somebody? If everyone became warm food, there's no right or wrong. Forgiveness isn't a virtue. It's, it's not a virtuous thing. There's no foundation for it, really. 
The gospel gives a very, very solid foundation for it, rooted in history, rooted in a man who was man and God, of course, and who accomplishes forgiveness of a debt, a sin debt, so incalculably large that no one has any chance of paying it, although we like to try. And that is why, to Jesse's point, oftentimes making amends is easier than saying I'm sorry and asking for forgiveness and pleading with someone to forgive you. You know why? Because it feels better. You're in control there. You're in control of when you make amends. And guess what? You're doing some good things. That person owes you their forgiveness now. Look how you, you've, really, you've really beat the bushes shake, and, and, and really got to work for them. Now, if, if they don't forgive you now, after what you've done, that's their problem. How does that switcheroo happen? Oh, it happens because we don't understand the nature of forgiveness. Or we understand it, but it's asking for forgiveness is painful and humiliating. And we would rather work ourselves out to save our own dignity because it feels better to make amends than to have your debt wiped out. Okay? And so, yeah, what I want to suggest here is this, that the, the Christian has the strongest... You look at any other worldview, really, okay? The Christian, by far, including naturalism, which is certainly worldview, the Christian has by far the strongest foundation for forgiveness. By far. By far. In every other worldview, it's kind of, well, it stands to reason that this, or you shouldn't... No, no, no. In the Christian worldview, it's you forgive because you have been forgiven. You forgive infinitely or as many times uh, as you are sinned against because that's how much you have been forgiven. I have a template for it. I have a, a, a degree level set for it. I have a historical example of it. I live in it, and so therefore I'm able to put that before me. I'm able to live in light of that. I'm able to forgive and live in light of the forgiveness that I myself have experienced, okay? So let me ask this question in light of, and I tried to make it a point here to, 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 to continue with the money, to make a big deal about the money here. Let me ask this question, and it's going to relate to some of the things we just said. How do you think, how does thinking about forgiveness as, uh, as forgiveness and reconciliation as canceling relational debt? Okay, how does, how does it, how does thinking about forgiveness and reconciliation as debt cancellation shape our approach or maybe even expectations in conflict resolution? What do you think? Forgiveness, relational debt cancellation. You think about it that way, what, is, what does that entail? or How does that maybe make you think about it differently? What do you think? Yes, sir. Okay, good. Good, yeah. So, hold on, my remote is not working. Yes, to, so to ask for forgiveness is to acknowledge, is to take ownership, right? Is to take ownership of wrong that you have done. Yeah, what else? That you, I mean, to, and to use the financial language, that to acknowledge that you are relationally, and I am in debt, to, I have wronged you. To use the, again, the accounting language here is just so interesting. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We would love to point the finger, and it's easier to look at other people's failures and sin uh, rather than uh, our own, certainly. Yeah. What else? How else is thinking about forgiveness as, as debt cancellation, which is the picture we have here? How is that instructive? Yeah. Um, it's like 
Ah, okay. So, so for the camera, so how is, it seems to have a finality to it. Talk a little bit more about that. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So if I, if my mortgage company calls and cancels my debt, you know, they can't put it back on me later. It's not how debt works, not how cancellation works, not how reconciliation works. So how about that thing that you forgive someone over and then two weeks later, oh yeah, you don't have a platform to stand on because what you did, it's like, oh, wait a second. It sounds like we took the debt like back out and put it back on that person. Not if forgiveness is understood as in debt cancellation terms. Okay. Any, any other ways that thinking about forgiveness in debt cancellation terms like we see here uh, may change or how you think about Conflict resolution and forgiveness in particular. The debt itself is not necessarily wrong. In, 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 in it's, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's correct. That's correct. Right. Okay. Um, so, so, so when you look at the, so when I read this, is the, is there a part of this that, that's that's is it is it something that I have said in application or is it just the the analogy that Jesus uses here is difficult to okay. right yeah he yeah there he has inability to he has something that is happened he's in a state of affairs that right he, he's in a state of affairs that he shouldn't be in because of his own actions he's trying to take ownership of them but there's no way that he can pay it back yeah so yeah, you can't. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think I understood where you're going. Like, if you take it a little bit too literally, it doesn't work. If, if you kind of, if you press the, you know, all analogies, I guess, are only helpful to the degree of the relevant analogs. And then this one, what I think well, Michael or Glenn, whoever just said, I think that's the that's the part that makes it um, makes the analogy powerful. Does that help? Is that a little bit clarifying? Okay, great. Yes, sir. Uh, we'll go right here. We need to move on. Mm, certainly, yeah. It certainly is is easier to always be looking outward and is less painful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's why we have to, that's why, I mean, some of this takes humility and courage to say, where was I wrong? You know, I don't know anyone who's ever said, you know what I love doing? Admitting I'm wrong. You know what I love doing? Messing up. You know what I love doing is coming to terms with the fact that I sinned against somebody. Like, I've never met anyone who enjoys that, who wants to do that, who's interested in that. Um, and so it takes effort, while pointing the finger at other people and calling out other people's problems takes no effort. That just comes to us very easily, okay? Comes to us very easily. All right, that, so that is the first step, large step, macro step. Resetting perspectives in priority, vertical, Glorify God. Horizontal, I want to love people. 
the God, I want perspective on life and eternity, a gospel perspective to this, who am I in Christ, what he has done for me, and just the temporal scope of life and eternity in terms of understanding if something's a big deal. I mean, am I getting, you, have some, you do have to ask yourself, am I getting bent out of shape about something that next week literally won't matter in a month I'll forgot even happened? Okay? And so we don't let those really powerful emotions in the moment occupy all of our conceptual space. Our whole thought life and then act. That's why James 1.19 is going to say, be slow to speak and slow to anger. Because in, in the Proverbs talks about it all the man. The, 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 the person who, who is going to speak quickly is going to say rash words. He's going to regret it. He's going to hurt people because we lose perspective in those moments. So we got to reset perspective. Okay, so once I reset perspectives, two, I'm going to start with myself, which is harder. As Jesse said, start with yourself. So a couple things here. Jesus does not forbid correcting others, but it is not the first step. Okay, so Matthew 7, 1, the, the, the verse that every secular person in the world knows. Um, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measure to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And by the way, that's supposed to be a funny, like that's... It's not, I don't want to say like Jesus is telling a joke there, but the imagery is supposed to be really funny. It's like a guy walking around with a post, you know, like a beam sticking out of my eye socket and being like, oh, Abiel, you got a problem with your eye, man. Can you believe it? There's got a speck of dust in there. <laughs> You're messed up. You need to see a doctor or something. It's, uh, it's supposed to be this obvious, why are you not starting with yourself? And he's supposed to, he's making it obvious because for us, it's not so obvious. What's obvious to us is we should start with the other person and what they did wrong because they're the ones who did wrong, not us. Okay? So we've got this funny little picture that Jesus paints. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You know what? I'm really good at helping people get stuff out of their eye. And I can see that you've got a speck of dust in your, let me, let me help. You know, I heard some, I heard a pastor the other day say I don't trust uh, I don't trust faith healers who wear glasses. I thought that was really funny. It's like it's the same thing here. That, the, the, that's the picture is supposed to be like humorously um, uh, humorously instructive. You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And what do you think, by the way, that then you will see clearly sounds like perspective to me. Sounds like we're going to, on the, on the heels of the first one, getting perspective, we're going to, getting perspective is going to help me see clearly to actually engage what's happening. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm, comics, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, that was very kind of you. Yeah, yeah, that was very kind of you. So, so Jesus does not forbid correcting others, but it just isn't the first step in resolution, okay? We want to look at ourselves first, and then that will help us to see clearly to look at our brothers and sisters, gender-inclusive brother here, sin. Um, now, here's the thing I talked about last time. Even if you are only responsible for 2% of a conflict, you're still 100% responsible for your 2%. Oh, this one is so awful. This one feels so awful when you are wronged 
and you wrong someone back, but in your estimation, and perhaps in reality, theirs is the much bigger wrong. But listen, it's either sin or it's not sin. Okay? You sinned against somebody or you didn't sin against somebody. Those are the only two categories. Now, didn't sin includes a lot, including doing good and just not doing neutral, not sin. But either it's in the category of sin, not sin, if you want to break it down. Did I sin against this person? If the answer is yes, then I need to take ownership of my sin. And I I can imagine some particular scenarios, again, where that will look very different played out. I'm thinking of very extreme examples that I don't even want to give examples of, okay? But for 99% of regular relational conflict, if you're, yeah, you, you need to certainly own your 2%. Certainly need to own your 2% and step up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this next point up, and I want someone to tell me what I'm talking about, okay? The deadly ifs and buts, okay? Someone tell me how my ifs and my buts ruin my coming to someone and owning my 2%. What does that mean? What do you think? Yes. Glenn. I'm sorry. I blew up at you. Yeah. Yeah. Things, but if you hadn't ah, there it is. Yeah, <laughs> but if, yeah, right next to each other. Okay, excellent. Someone give me another example. Yes, sir. Yeah, there we are. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And so what, the, well, here's what ifs and buts do. Okay. They take the ownership of your sin that you are putting up and you're kind of bringing in the front door and they kind of smuggle it out the side door. <laughs> okay? It says, yeah. Yeah, that's, well, yeah. Depending on, what the, depending on what the if is. It could be I sinned, but I didn't have my coffee. So yeah, sometimes you're, sometimes you're pushing it back on someone, but sometimes it's going out. Um, beside. But great point, though. Yeah, it may not just be that I'm, uh, bl- it could be that I am blaming somebody. But ifs and buts are versions of blame shifting. And it might be true. It's not necessarily, all the buts and ifs aren't necessarily false statements. If you hadn't hit me in the face, I would not have hit you in the face. Probably a true statement. Also irrelevant. When I am owning my sin. Okay? So just the buts and ifs, the problem isn't necessarily that they're even false. It's that you are leaning on it to excuse yourself, or at at the very least, significantly uh, lower your level of culpability. Okay? And again, sin is sin. Sin is sin is sin. One sin. Jesus said, I mean, one sin is enough to send Christ to the cross. So your one sin, even if it's like, in your view, like diluted sin or something, it's still sin because there's, there's no real such thing as diluted sin. So yeah, ifs and buts tell somebody, I'm taking responsibility, kind of. Like, 
kind of. I mean, like, I'm kind of responsible. Like, I am, but not in, you know, in a mitigated kind of way. Okay? So save the ifs and buts. Okay? If you're going to own sin, just go own sin. You don't need any ifs and buts. You don't need any ifs and buts. Now, if you're trying to work out how you tend to patterns in your life, and you want to put some things in ifs and buts later on the very last step, which is get together on solutions, plan for the future, that's a different story. Okay? You might say, yeah, I'm somebody that if someone comes up and says these things because of what's happened to me, I'll, I might act. Okay, great. Understanding cause and effect relationships, fine. Pointing those out at the moment of confession and trying to own sin, not a good practice. My goodness. I hope this doesn't happen in the sermon. I'll be... Okay. Okay. The golden response. Everyone knows the golden rule. What's the golden response? First admissions tend to trigger second admissions. This doesn't always happen. Okay. It doesn't always happen, but oftentimes it does uh, because people are disarmed by someone who comes to them, especially when they know that they're the one who really wronged the other person. And, and, um, and, and they come humble and they come owning sin and they come asking forgiveness. And all of a sudden, the person feels like they're not in a war anymore. All of a sudden, this person is like, oh, okay, this person isn't looking for a fight. And all of a sudden, that person oftentimes, but I don't want, certainly not all, I'm just saying, oftentimes, we'll start apology. All of a sudden, apology becomes very easy for them because someone else did it first. Okay? And, um, and again, especially if you're the person who whose sin perhaps was far less egregious, it can actually help someone confess their own sin. It really can. Uh, you don't owe them that. But keep in mind that first admissions and first confessions tend to trigger, often do, but not always trigger the second confessions. And while it's not your responsibility for someone else to confess their sin, you certainly can help in the reconciliation and peacemaking process by going ahead and taking initiative. Yes, sir. Yes, it is. Yeah, we can certainly be blinded by our own sin and desire to preserve a certain image. Yeah, it's easy to see other people's. Absolutely. Um, all right, so let me, let's see. Oh, I'm at time. Oh, the Sunday school teachers are going to shoot me. All right, so we got through. No, we so we we got through uh, the first part of that. We'll, we'll finish up the uh, second half of this next time, and we'll get into the uh, we'll get into the third step here. Let me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Excellent point for the camera. Um, the, uh, the, the principle that first admissions tend to trigger second admissions, but especially when you're the 2%. Yeah, if you're trying to use that as a manipulative tool, uh, that's not going to work, and your confession may just not be genuine. Hey, I think I have a pragmatic solution to this. I'm going to just own this. Who cares if I actually think I'm responsible? But that may tend to, that'll make this person apologize and maybe grovel before me. Yeah, excellent point. Let me let me briefly close us close in prayer. Apologize for going over the time. God, we're thankful to have, uh, again, being able to consider some of these things and think about them well. Things are challenging, Lord. We uh, pray for wisdom. Be with us in our worship hours. We celebrate again the resurrection. In Jesus' name.